We will now read today's scripture, reading from Hebrews 13, 1 through 8. If you would like to follow along in our Pew Bibles, we are on page 1009. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Two more Sundays in Hebrews and then we'll be in our Advent season. And so uh, maybe some of you are looking forward to being done. I don't know. I think something that all of us can agree on is that um, in order for knowledge to be credible, it has to be practiced, right? Like it, it can't just be stuck in your head. So if someone says like, I'm a really, really great swimmer, um, they kind of have to prove it by actually swimming and not just saying that they know how to swim and saying like, I can hold my breath and I can do these strokes and that, like they have to actually show you by entering into the pool and practicing that. Because all of us can probably describe things theoretically, but it's another thing to actually live out what you know. And so the Bible isn't just a book of theories, knowledge, and principles. They, they are lessons that are to be applied and to be lived out. That they are meant for training, they're meant for formation, and that learning is beyond head knowledge. That it is actually to be lived out actively in a family of faith. That that mere information doesn't bring about transformation, otherwise um, everyone would stop habitually smoking, yes? Like we, we all know this. We all know that exercise is important. We all know the, the healthy things to eat. We all know those things. There isn't anyone in this sanctuary that doesn't know those things, but yet we don't do that. We don't do those things. And so we are to live out faith for it to be transformative. And the church is this imperfect family of faith that, that practices these things that we know so that they can be fleshed out. To, to love those who are really, really hard to love. To forgive people who are really difficult to forgive. To welcome and receive and to be hospitable to complete strangers, not just family and friends. And so we, we live out this faith towards one another in this faith community. And this is the best place to practice these things. Where those who are further along in this spiritual journey can model for those who are kind of uh, younger in their faith. To, to experience those challenges within a church family and to seek God as we seek restoration, reconciliation, living in peace with one another, even though we disagree and even fight with each other. And for us to figure out what contentment is, figure out how to pray for someone we, we don't like and pray for each other, to, to figure out this whole forgiveness thing with each other. 
knowing that we are really, really far from perfect. But yet this is, this is how we grow in this condition, in this place where we know that it takes time, that it takes patience, and really, really importantly, that it takes participation to get to this place of depth, that things that are, are worth it, that they take time, that they take effort, and they're, they're not quick. Do you ever wonder why it takes so much effort and time to be healthy? And it takes absolutely no time at all to be unhealthy. So um, I, I just came back from a cruise. It was a mother and son cruise that I went with my mom, and it was, it was wonderful to get to know my mom better. And I also found out that I'm not a cruiser, that I don't like cruises. But I love <laughs> that I loved being with my mom and getting to know my mom. And during that span of time, I gained eight pounds. It took no time at all. I don't know how long it's going to take me to take that eight pounds off, probably double the time that it took me to gain it. Like, it takes effort to lose that stuff, right? So I, I've, I've lost five so far, but part of it is because I've fasted like 48 hours straight, and I'm just like, it's all water weight, so it doesn't count. But it takes so much effort to do good things, and it takes like no effort at all to do the things that are not good most of us have this information on how to be spiritually healthy people. Or at least we, we have the access and we know who to ask and, and what to look up to find out how to be spiritually healthy. But, but how many of us are at our optimal spiritual health? See, this is more than knowledge. What we know and gain in knowledge, it has to be fleshed out in how we live. And so this is why we're together as a faith family, a church family, a family of just misfits and imperfect people who are faithfully putting into action what we know and what we learn, where we know that things are not perfect here, but these are actually the conditions that are really good for us to spiritually grow together, to put our faith into action now, before we jump into chapter 13, we need to look back a couple of verses in chapter 12 to better understand uh, how we are to approach chapter 13. So let's look back to chapter 12, starting in verse 28, and it reads this. Therefore, let us be grateful, thankful, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And so I know Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and so this is just a very, very timely timely message, that this thankfulness, that this gratitude and the offering of acceptable worship to God, that being thankful and grateful to God in ways that honor and please God is kind of the context before we enter into chapter 13. So we have to think, what are the ways we express to God our gratitude, our thanks, thankfulness, in such ways that honor and please God. And so we need to keep this question in mind as we enter chapter 13, because chapter 13 addresses that question of how we are to show gratitude in ways that honor and please God. And so here's the first way to gratefully live out this way of honorable and pleasing God. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. That's the first one to continuously love our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That those of us who belong to Jesus Christ, we're siblings. 
And the level of this commitment is based on a shared relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. That we all have this shared experience of grace from God. Where we've all acknowledged the need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. And that we have this need for a forgiveness of our sins. Even though we're all so really different. We, we are so diverse here. So many diverse pieces in our faith community. But yet that diversity is secondary to what is the primary unifier of all of us. And that is we belong to Jesus Christ. And that we are siblings in Jesus Christ. We have the same Savior. And as children of the same Lord, we are to honor each other. Not seeking to offend, abuse, take advantage of, dishonor, but to treat each other with humility, with love, to keep loving each other when the other person's really difficult to love. To love despite the challenges that we pose to one another. And that unifying factor is that we all have the same God that we came from. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, free, slave, but Christ is all and in all. Our unifier is Christ, that we're all under Christ, committed to love each other through our imperfections, our brokenness, our differences, to love each other no matter how different we are from each other, even though we acknowledge that diversity is very important but that those differences that divide us, they have to be placed at the foot of the cross in front of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, where we can commit to one another that we will love one another because the evidence of Jesus' love for all of us can be found at the foot of the cross. And so here's the second way to live out this gratitude that honors and pleases God. It's in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Showing hospitality to strangers, so people we don't know, right? Not family, not friends, just people we don't know. Why? If we don't do this as a faith community, who will? Who does this? Who will know these strangers' names, their stories, their hurt, their pain, their dreams, if we just treat strangers as strangers in this really, really lonely world. And it's just getting lonelier and lonelier. I don't know if you've read any studies, statistics, or research, but there was a study published in the American Sociological Review, and it found that the average person in the United States has one close friend. One in four people have no confidants at all, 75% of people say they are unsatisfied with the friendships that they have. So go ahead and look at the friend next to you. They don't like you. Um, just kidding. You're the 25%. You're the 25. And all of this is happening in the United States while church attendance is declining. We know that Thanksgiving is coming up here. Christmas is coming up here. And this particular time of year can be really difficult for those who don't have meaningful connections. And we're reading more and more from the studies and from this research that people are craving meaningful social interactions. But they don't know how to do it. 
They're looking towards social media and things like that rather than sitting face to face. Cigna, the, the health plan. Cigna, they did a study of Generation Z, just of a segment, segment of Generation Z from ages 18 to 22. And they recently found out that 68% that of those studied said they feel like no one really knows me. 68% of them. And they received a score of 48.3 out of 80, while those who are 72 years and, and older scored 38.6 out of 80. So the lower the score, the less lonely they feel, right? So the higher the score, the more lonely they feel. And so you can see that discrepancy of almost 10 points out of 80. And so I looked up millennials because that's the majority of our church is millennials. Um, and so millennials scored right in between there, 45.3. And so you can see the pro projection of it just getting lonelier and lonelier as each generation goes by. And this, they don't know what's going to happen and they don't know how to address this. But they are seeing that each generation is getting lonelier and lonelier and people are just getting more and more isolated from people. Because if you look around today, there, there just aren't many places that prioritize deep connections anymore. It used to be the church. And yet church attendance is declining. So is it a surprise that the loneliness score is getting higher and higher when we're losing the foundation of where these deep connections were happening. This is where we come in. This is what we do. This is, this is our place. And so we need to ask ourselves, how many people that I didn't know before that are strangers have stepped foot into my home, have stepped foot into our church, into our home group, or into any other type of service that our church offers that they can actually be there with you and you can start talking to them and finding out their stories and learning about their hurts and pains and dreams and all these different things that drive deep, meaningful connections. We have strangers among us just in this church. Not everyone knows each other. There are people here that you don't know at all. You don't know their name, you don't know their stories, you don't know their dreams, their hurts, their pain. You don't know anything about them. I want to strongly encourage you to do something simple. You don't even have to invite them into your home yet. Just invite them to lunch. It's going to be lunchtime after this service. Go grab a taco a block away. They're really good. If you haven't been there yet, then... Um, you are definitely a stranger here. And so find someone who's been there and go there. It's great. It's a great taco. Right? Second half. So, so do that. And help them find community here. Inviting them to a home group. Inviting them to that alpha group. Serving the homeless community together. Serving the refugee community together. There, there's a lot of stuff that's happening that you can actually show hospitality to somebody. And in that latter part of verse 2, the author writes about entertaining angels, which is in reference to Genesis chapter 18, Judges chapter 13. And not that that should be the motivation, is to like, oh, maybe I can meet an angel. But if you're that single guy and you see that girl, she just might very, be, very well be your angel. So bring her to the taco truck. You know, I, I'm helping you out today. 
I'm opening the door for you, right? So if it doesn't work out, that's, that's on you now. I opened the door. But it's always good to show hospitality to strangers. I, I was really blessed this past, uh, I think it was yesterday, it might be the day before, I, didn't, I, I don't carry money. Right? It's, it's a cashless society, right? I'm paying by my phone or I'm paying with a credit card or, or something. I, I don't carry money with me. And I was at a parking meter that only accepted coins. <laughs> like it, I couldn't use my app. I couldn't use a credit. I was like, are you kidding me? How, how can you just accept this metal thing? Like, how does that work? And then this, this gal was just right by and says, like, um, you look like you're flustered. I was like, I don't carry money. And I have to, I don't want a ticket because the ticket's like 50 bucks. And so she was like, pulls out some change and gives me like 75 cents. And I was like, I'm a complete stranger here. And yet you, you blessed me that way. So I, I went to the ATM, I pulled some money out and I, I pulled out my 20. I, and I'm like, I'm looking for her and I couldn't find her. And I was really bummed out. So I'll have to try again some other time. But that's going to be a, a very good ROI for her, right? Like 75 cents for 20 bucks is like a great ROI. So if you ever see me struggling out there looking for money, like pay me, okay? So, <laughs> so here's a third way to gratefully live out ways to honor and please God. Here's the third way. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Empathize with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, the early Christian church, um, those people ended up in prison over their faith. And so they couldn't experience that normal life anymore because prisons then are di very different from prisons for us, right? It, prisons for us, people still get fed. Prisons back then, you don't help supply the food, that person doesn't get fed. You're on your own, right? And so anything that you help with the prisoner, that's how they receive help. Otherwise, they don't. And so the family of faith had to bring that community to them because they weren't free to, to seek fellowship on their own. So, so it had to be brought to them. And if you weren't able to seek community, to seek fellowship, how do you go about empathizing with those people that you're like one of them? How, how do you reach out to those who are in need that, that need us to go to them. Now, in, in this context in Hebrews, it was these prisons, which it can be for us as well, but in most, like, in most likelihood, this is not the case for us because our constitutional law doesn't, uh, is not supposed to per, uh, have people with different religious belief imprisoned. So this isn't like our scenario. So practically speaking and in, in, in application, how does this look for us? I want to pose to you that this looks like the, the convalescent home. That this looks like those people who are shut inside their homes who aren't able to be mobile. That this is a, a shelter or a group home or a house where refugees have housing but they don't know the system and they don't know how to go about using banking and post office and all these other things. That this is uh, hospitals where loved ones are, are separated this, this is nursing homes. Wherever it is where people need us to go to them, that's what this is, to, to be with them, to visit, to share meals, to send notes, to remember that they're, they're, they're a brother and sister, that that brotherly love continues. 
And so our family of faith can't forget the least of these. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so during this time where Thanksgiving is quickly approaching and Christmas is quickly approaching, that you would spend some time simply asking God where he might be sending you to remember those who are in need, for you to go to them, to share with them the love of Jesus, to refresh their spirit, to bring dignity to their personhood that has been neglected for so many years for some of these people. And then there's this one that's addressing marriage in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, we all know that marriage is a covenant and a way to gratefully live out ways that honor and please God is through our marriages. So how do we practice what we know and apply that? Now, here's one for those of us who are married that it's through our marriage. This is how we practice what we learned, what we gain from the scriptures. That through this faith community between a husband and wife is where we can practice this and honor this. Where our marriages are different from those who don't know Jesus, I, I hope. I hope they're different in ways. Where, where people can witness our relationship with Jesus and each other and how that's transformed us in a context of marriage where that purity is paramount because of our marriage covenant. I think this is a huge way we can stand out because you, you go out with your colleagues uh, for dinner or whatever and I don't know if you've noticed this but when I'm working with secular folks uh, the guys are staring down other ladies. Some of them are taking off their rings when they're just kind of hanging out because they want to be able to talk to anybody that they want to. They're doing different things. They, they don't filter things that they look at. They feel free to look at pornography. This is where we're different. We don't do that. We honor our marriage covenant. We hold in high regard our spouses. Now, I know that there are some in our church who have fallen in regards to this, and, and you are divorced. And I want to let you know that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. And for some of you, maybe you have committed adultery. And I want to let you know that adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Marriage is a way to gratefully live out what is honoring and pleasing to God. But I need to remind all of us not to forget the first three, the brotherly love, the showing hospitality, the remembering the least of these, because maybe it's that divorcee or that adulterer who needs that love, who needs that hospitality, who needs that remembrance that they are loved by God, that they need to be pulled into the community. And maybe we are the ones to be able to help bring reconciliation between them and God. I'm looking at verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. 
For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is a call to very, very radical living. Especially here in the Bay Area, right? Because you look at those first instructions. I think you don't have to be a Christian to be on board with those things. Love? Yeah, we need to love people. Show hospitality to people? Yeah, we need to show hospitality. We want to welcome people, right? Um, strangers, yes, we, we, we love strangers. We want to embrace them. The, the least of these, Oakland, San Francisco, we're sanctuary cities. We, we stand up for the homeless. We want to serve the homeless. There's, we, we want to do that. We, we love to do that. Marriage is not so much, maybe not. Like, yeah, I want, if I want to look at somebody else, I want to do that. If I want to be with someone, maybe. So maybe not so much there, and this is kind of where things start taking a turn. But here, definitely. Free from the love of money? Do you not realize we're in the tech capital of the entire world? We are in the biotech capital of the entire world? I mean, this is where innovation, this is where capitalism is at its best. This is what we do. We love money and we buy lots of stuff. Black Friday is just down, down the road, right? We spend billions on one day. And then Christmas is right after that. Did, did you guys notice, um, this is the first time I've noticed at, when I went to Home Depot that Christmas decor went up the same time as Halloween decor. Like they didn't even wait. Usually they wait. Halloween and then Christmas. But they put it all at the same time. Like, uh, like Santa Claus was right next to the skeleton. Like it was really weird, right? Emery, Emeryville Home Depot. I'm not joking. It was right there. So, so, so far, all these other things seem okay. But this one, nah, I don't know. And then this is yet the one that highlights this communion with God with these phrases. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so this one highlights how our confidence is to be placed in our love of God, not in the love of money. To put our love in what is secure and everlasting, not fleeting and temporary. And so it's where, it's money. Money seems to be where I've found most people to be the most discontent. And I found that the top reason people seek pastoral counseling within marriages is because there is a fight about money. There's all this stuff about discontentment. And discontentment is really, really dangerous. Because discontentment is this feeling that people can't see in terms of like, you look discontent. They just kind of look at your actions and your actions are telling them that you are discontent. But if I just look at your face, I can't say, say like, you look discontent. I can't see that in you. Like, that's just happening inside of you. And so let's not confuse contentment with lethargy or laziness or neglect. Content is not meaning that you are anti-ambition. Because the desire as a follower of Jesus Christ is to do our best. It is to be a good worker. It is to do good work. And all of those things are good things. But the thing is, is that we leave the results to God as followers of Christ. We work hard. 
But we leave the results to God. That whatever happens from my effort, I'm content with that because I did it as unto the Lord. That we're not chasing something else like money, fame, advancement. But we're simply honoring God because we do our work as unto the Lord. It's working hard and then leaving those results to God and aiming to please God in what we do rather than chasing those temporary results. And this is a really, really difficult thing to do because we often want to get stuff. We like stuff. We like other people's stuff. And so there's that word covetousness also. So we deal with contentment. We deal with coveting. And being content and not covetous That is so difficult in this very materialistic world, unless you see the Tesla pickup, which is just as ugly as whatever. (laughs) Then you don't want it at all. It's cool. I don't need it. But, But one of the ways to gratefully live out how we honor and please God is to simply be content. When everyone else is complaining and groaning and moaning because that Christmas bonus check wasn't as big as you thought it was going to be and then you can't get that thing that you wanted and then you can't get the stuff. But for us, we remember God saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we have a peace in that. And it's not that we don't experience discontentment because we do. But we know that it's not just about knowledge, but it's how do we live that out? How do we live out the discontentment in our family of faith? How do we live out covetousness in our family of faith and deal with those things and grow in those things and know that the Lord is my helper? He's going to help me through this stuff. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear that stuff. What can man do to me? You're going to tease me about driving a junky car. You're going to tease me about the clothes I wear. You're going to tease me about where I live. You're going to tease whatever. You're going to say whatever you want to say. Lord's my helper. I don't need to fear any of that stuff. To live in contentment when others can't seem to land in the same place and then they start wondering why. How can you do that? How can you be content with the lack? And then verse 7. This is my favorite one, by the way. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Of course, I'm I'm so kidding. I'm so scared of this one. I'm terrified. So this is actually my second favorite one. Um, We're going to dig into this a little bit more when we get into verse 17, but we're just going to look at this briefly. You notice what's pointed out about leaders here is they, those who spoke to you the word of God, that you remember leaders in reference to the word of God that was spoken to you. And this is so essential in a spiritual leader. Otherwise, they fall into verse 9, which, which we'll get to later. And it says, led away by diverse and strange teachings. Because it's the word of God that speaks of love, hospitality, remembering the least of these, purity, contentment. I'm not the one that made that stuff up. I'm not that wise. All I'm simply doing is plagiarizing the Bible. That's what I'm doing. I'm just plagiarizing the Bible. I'm not coming about any of this on my own. And so we have to be really careful when someone is just speaking and and discerning, is that 
some agenda? Is that some soapbox? Is that some politic? Or is it the word of God? For the leader to be remembered for speaking the word of God. And this is paramount for spiritual leaders. And it's not just what a spiritual leader speaks from the word of God, but how that knowledge, what they know, is fleshed out in their life. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at the outcomes. That the life of the leader is consistent with the word of God that they speak. And so you, you look at how they run the race. Not just like these short spurts, but that, that, long, that long race, that long journey. And so we look back to chapter 11, all those heroes of the faith for us. Because none of them were perfect. In fact, some of them were really, really stinky. When they ran that short race, some of them lived a really, really terrible life. And you're like, how, What? But if you look at the entire life, is the life lived by that leader credible to the one spoken about from the word of God? And so in chapter 11, all those people, yes. And so therefore, go ahead and imitate their faith. Not those short spurts where they fell, but as far as that long race, imitate that. Imitate that life. And so the Bible has many leaders to imitate. There are also probably some leaders in, in contemporary for us as well to follow. So imitate those faithful leaders. But, but there is no greater leader to imitate than Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That no matter how great a leader is or, or they, how great they were, they are not Jesus Christ. That no matter how well they spoke the word of God or, or lived their life, Christ is the only one who is perfect. And so we have to turn people to Christ. Not to ourselves or not to church leaders because we, we sometimes offer bad advice. We sometimes live less than perfect lives. But Jesus Christ, never. Perfect. And so we always must turn people to Christ who, who, who is the perfecter of our faith. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not, been, not benefited those devoted to them. Now this is written because this was happening. And it's happening today. Back then... There, was, there were these strange teachings. And this teaching was that there are these human works that can bring about this spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And so there are these ceremonial religious foods. And, and, and people can do this spiritual devotion stuff and to come up with some spiritual effect. And so the author of Hebrews is writing here, don't be fooled by that stuff. It's not because of like ceremonial foods that you eat or offer or things that you do. This is all God's grace. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, it's not, it's not our flesh. It's by the Spirit. And it's God at work. Spiritual growth and maturity are received through the grace of God that we did not earn that. He gave that to us. By grace. Verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So what, what is this all about? Well, 
back then, there were those who had a really hard time separating their kind of external religious practices with their faith in just simply accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, that Jesus Christ paid it all. And so this dissonance prevented them from accepting what Christ had to offer, that there were these people who were just religious, that had a hard time letting go of those religious practices to acknowledge that Christ's sacrifice was enough. So in today's context, perhaps it's those people who keep beating themselves up with just religious stuff. Maybe you've met these people. I can't fully come to, to Jesus yet because I still have a porn addiction. So I want to get, that, I want to get rid of that first before I come. Or I, I want to be sober for 90 days before I come to Jesus because, you know, I have this stuff I need to deal with. Or I have this porn, or I have this, this addiction or that addiction, or I have all this stuff that I need to deal with before I come. And it's all this religious external stuff that you think you have to do these things and you fail to recognize that Christ paid it all. He paid it all. All that stuff you're trying to do is just kind of like those penance that never work. Christ paid it all. Go to him first. Work all that out within a faith community where you're going to experience love, hospitality, and acceptance into this. And then we'll work through this stuff together. Verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Outside the camp, outside the gate. Because that's where sin was dealt with. This is where Christ bore our sins. This is where God reconciled the world to himself. Jesus suffered on the cross to make us righteous. He did not suffer to make us happy. He suffered to make us holy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So in light of all these instructions from verses 1 till now, it says, go to him and bear the reproach. Identify with the reproach Christ endured. To realize that's not a curse, that's actually a privilege. And this is just a revolutionary way of thinking. Because Jews back in this day thought that things inside the camp were the only things that could be holy, were the only things that could be worthy. But here God is telling us to go outside. Go outside the camp. Be vulnerable. Not the safe and secure stuff. Go and exercise that faith that you've learned. All that knowledge you've learned here, take it out and, and do it. Don't play it safe. Why? Verse 14. For here, we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. See, the security is not inside the city walls. It's not inside the church walls. It's not inside of your home. We are nomads. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are aliens. And so this isn't just some religious talk that we're talking about. We're talking about identifying with Jesus Christ 
who went outside the gate, outside the wall, and then for us to embrace the disgrace that Jesus Christ endured so that we gratefully live out the ways that honor and please God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for these instructions that you have given us. And we pray, Lord, that it is more than just knowledge that we are able to apply and to practically live out these lessons that you've given us, that we do show brotherly love continuously to each other, that we we don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, that we honor our marriages, that we remember those who are in prison, that we, we are content, that we are able to imitate the faith of those leaders who have walked before us, who have been faithful, acknowledging that you are the same yesterday, today, forever. And so, Lord, give us that revelation, not simply into our heads, but also, Lord, providing us the opportunities and giving us the courage and boldness to step outside of the camp, outside of the wall, to do these things. I pray, Lord, that we are mindful that Thanksgiving is right around the corner and that Christmas is right around the corner and these lessons are so practical and applicable during this time of year. Um, Help us to live this out. In Jesus' name, amen.